Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. That's ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Again, that's ebaymotors.com. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. It's time for the Wrestling Perspective Podcast. Somehow, I've convinced Ace Steel to come back for another, what, episode. Paul was great. I loved it. You were great. You had fun. You're back. I did. I did. I am back. I mean, I, I signed on to this deal for the non-lucrative, you know, contract that I have. So, here we go, which You're is for zero dollars. So, <laughs> You're doing a four-show podcast loop. <laughs> Let's get yeah. it done. So uh, we've got a lot of questions. Thank you so much for everybody that uh, asked questions. We'll try to get to as many as possible, but we're going to take our time. And, you know, people don't realize you and I are still getting to know each other too, as a as on a friend level. Like it, it's sure. kind of cool. So I like to know these things too. We're going to banter back and forth, and uh, you know, take in and out of whatever we can out of this stuff. So let's start. Carl wants to know. Me and a friend are having a friendly debate about titles and stables. I said, for example, style uh, stables. Well, oh, Styles will never win a top title because he's in a stable as a face. AJ Styles uh, as a face, and for the most part, only heels get titles in stables. How many times can you guys recall a face in a stable? carrying a top title in any company in the last 25 years oh gosh so this requires me to be a super wrestling fan which is also hard for me because i haven't been uh i'm a, still a fan of the things i grew up on so when you bring this question up of course the first stable that ever really mattered to me was the four horsemen mm -hmm. but then you go back and you look at you know texas had a lot of them you had the gary hart's you know the gary hart family and stuff like that eddie gilbert had his first family and they were heel factions, you know, factions seem to be more of a heel thing. But going forward in the history, I mean, I know NWO was supposed to be heels, but they were good guys. They took the tweeter to the next level. So I think the answer to that question is you've got the NWO. Um, but again, keeping up with stables and years, if you're just sticking specifically to WWE, WWF, um, you know, he may have a point. I think modern day, it doesn't matter so much. I think AJ Styles could be the world world champion with uh, the Good Brothers 
and with you know they could still flank them with you know championship gold like it could get over it could work um you got to look at the history of how they run their territory how the territories used to run nwa primarily the champion was a heel and went town to town and the baby faces chased that person they chased the heel harley flair um dusty had it what three times but he didn't help hold it for very long or any other one that dethroned harley or flair at least up in into the in the 80s and wwf was the opposite you know they had guys they had babyface champions all the way through they held the titles for five years so i think they in their blueprint it it looks like they would have a babyface champion more often than not you know it just depends again, on your creative and who you have nowadays. I think, I think it's, I can't think of any um, exact babyface stable except for an NWO. And again, I didn't watch TNA when all the people went there, when you had your Hogan's or your main event mafia Nobody guys. watched or, it. <laughs> Let's be honest. What's it, going, what's it going there? I'm just saying, I didn't pay attention to that wrestling then. So I, you know, my answer is I think it definitely could work. I think if it gets over, it gets over, and you could definitely run with it and go with it. When you touched on something that's great here, it was the blueprint. And as a guy, you know, you've probably watched wrestling a little longer than I have, but you know, I grew up in NWA, WCW stuff, and that was kind of my bread and butter and what I liked. And I often tell people all the time, I didn't really watch much of the attitude error at all for WWE. Sure. I was strictly wc i like a loyal wcw kid and i loved it and i still to this day uh if i go back and watch any old pay-per-views mostly old wcw stuff because that's that's yeah. what i love and it's interesting how that blueprint changes from company to company and you look at wrestling today and it's all great um mm -hmm. i wish they'd bring back characters i wish they'd bring back hills and faces I think that stuff could still work in today's wrestling if the fans want to believe in it. Uh, oh, 100%. I mean, uh, let's put it plain and simple. CM Punk, John Cena. CM Punk had come down to the uh, Performance Center and actually sat with some of the prospective people that would end up. And he, he, excuse me, he may have done it since, but when I was down there in 2019, he came down and cleared his schedule. And he formed a rapport with Austin Theory. Like he gave a, he gave a speech to everybody, kind of gave his advice. And he said, I'm going to go off of this room. And I cleared the day. So pick my brain. And people got in line. Not everybody, but people got in line. And I even stayed to hear it. Like I was, we were told as coaches, you guys can powder, you can get out. Cena's going to talk. And I'm like, why, would, why wouldn't I want to hear what a guy, now mind you, I trained a guy that was opposite John Cena in the ring multiple times. I have his take and his feeling on things. Let's hear what John Cena's got to say, because, you know, at this point, Punk had been on a wrestling for a long time and Cena was continuing on, so to speak. You know, you know, he, his his time in the ring had winded down quite a bit and with movies, but blah, 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 blah. The point is he believes in baby heel. He believes, you know, it's black and white. I believe it is, too. I believe you confuse, I believe that you can tell a story in a match and it should be as easy as a five-year-old kid. Five-year-old kids are smart. I think I've said this before on the podcast. A five-year-old kid's really freaking smart. Teach your match structure and who the person in the ring, that kid should know who's what, who's where, when you get in the ring, from the lockup, from the time you enter the curtain. 
And that sets the stage for what the, the audience is watching. They don't have to figure it out. And yes, I agree with you. I would at least like to see the characters more defined. I want to know that you're the you're the guy that I should hate. And I want to know that this guy should be the guy we're going to cheer. I, I don't want the in-between. Like, there's a rare few that can pull it off. But I think ultimately, if they think about it, they want to go one direction or the other. You know, you, you have the Brett Hart in Canada. Um scenario where he's the heel everywhere but he walks into canada and he's fucking you know you know they're, they're bowing and praying to him kind of like punk may get sometimes when he's in chicago like it's hard to knock him in chicago but he goes to long island to wrestle an, an mjf and they're like oh fuck you see a punk you know that like, I, I i need the black and white personally for me to really get i i enjoy it when i see that i i will say I wish the NWA was bigger right now. I I like what they're doing down there. And I, I really enjoy that they're doing the character base. They're doing a lot more Matt stuff. I think now they're starting to let them come off the top rope a little bit more than they did. Because I think when when they first kind of launched the NWA power, I believe it was at first, mm-hmm. it was like no off the top rope stuff. Let's try to do traditional, you know, uh, old school wrestling. Now they're okay. starting to mix in a little bit more, and I really like I but but once again, uh, and this will come to a question here a little bit later. Fans are brainwashed. If I have to search for wrestling, I'm not going to watch it, and that's the problem with like going to YouTube or whatnot. Uh-huh. I you know I I might as well skip to uh, there's a question in here, and I'm sure we're going to get to it, but I'm just going to say you know because um, someone asked me to tell you about my thoughts on like WWE right now because I had some very I want to use the word controversial that means people cared about what my thoughts were <laughs> but I had a few people not like it and I keep saying all the time fans are brainwashed we're brainwashed it doesn't matter what's on Monday night we're brainwashed to watch wrestling on Monday night if WWE which you know they were talking about we're looking at different ideas and maybe moving days which they won't they'll be stupid too if I'm a wrestling company I'm moving into that 8 p.m. slot on Monday night because we as fans are programmed that Monday night we watch wrestling. It doesn't matter what wrestling's on, but we watch it. And that's what made WWE uh, so so must watch to the casual wrestling fans is, look, I, I know TNT 8 o'clock click. If I have to go to YouTube and search or type something in, I'm not watching it. And, and yeah, I think I understand. And I think that's that's a lot of these. Sure, they get a ton of views on YouTube, but I think the most wrestling fan, if it's not on Monday night at eight o'clock or maybe Friday night or Thursday, we don't watch it. And I think that's we're just Monday night, eight o'clock. That's the spot you want to be in. No ands, ifs, or buts. Good point. Good point. Um, you can tell flips. me I'm a fucking idiot. Feel free. No, no, no. To be honest with you, I never really thought about that. Like, we're programmed for that. But when I go back, so again, I'm a fan of things when I see that makes me, you know, goosebumps come up when I see, you know, like, it's inevitable. It was going to happen. If it's good, it's good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't many matches. There aren't many moves that make me go, oh, you know, <laughs> it's just that I've been doing this so long. And when you say stuff like the attitude area, like, my wife is 10 years younger than I am. So when she grew up on You're wrestling. Dirty dog. Hey, man. Hey, man. At least I don't look 10 years older than I look now. That would really fucking. Well, I might. I don't know. Maybe you don't. she just like the old man. Maybe she's Good. just waiting on that check and to push me around and shove me off a cliff. I don't fucking know. You look like a very in shape 60 year old. 
<laughs> but yeah, but go back but to so, so she was a fan through like, let's let's put it this way. If I put on uh, the peacock on the cock there, put on the network mm-hmm. and watch anything from back then and I'll put in an old raw or whatever, I'll just sit there and go, I don't remember any of this. Like Eddie Guerrero, for instance, all of his run on SmackDown, I was wrestling at that time. And I know that sounds, I mean, I was into my career and what I was doing, which means I was into what I was into as far as a wrestler and growing. So I didn't turn around on Thursday nights. I was either working out or in the ring or at another job. So I was getting ready for the weekend or whatever I was doing. Maybe I was in Japan. I don't know the time frame, but I didn't see a lot of Eddie Guerrero on SmackDown, which is genius stuff that I'm going back to watch. Like my Eddie Guerrero was WCW in the late nineties. And then my career starts amplifying with more things in the 2000s. So if something was worth watching, like I saw the WrestleManias, but you know, the, the, the weekly television shows, I didn't catch anymore. So I'm going back to see all this stuff and the added, and obviously I know the attitude era stuff. I saw that, but the things that people grew up on and what I have to catch up on now, um, programming, like you're saying, like Thursday night was SmackDown. Well, now it's Friday. When I grew up, Saturdays were the day. Sundays were the day. There was unfuck all on Monday, which they've ingrained their spot there. So I see your point there. To me, Saturdays is the wrestling day. Or, you know, it used to be Saturday morning. Uh, I, re- I grew up in the day and age when there was wrestling on almost every channel all weekend long. From TBS in the morning with, N- with NWA, Crockett era, WWE, WWF superstars would come on. Then we had World Class on in the afternoon. Then you had another NWA show. Then simultaneously was a syndicated and TBS show. Sunday morning was the AWA. Like all of this shit was going on. So my wrestling was weekend based. So as far as like programming, what I'm going to see and watch. Yeah, you have to program the universe to what day you're in slot that wrestling is for you. The problem with another wrestling organization coming in on a Monday is, are they going to garner any ratings at all? Because it's, you everyone's turning on raw and what channel is it on is it available to everyone you know most everyone in the world's got a usa or access to it more people evident by viewership has access to smackdown because fox is a you, you can find it on local stations mm-hmm. um and then you throw in the youtube factor like there's a majority of the world like You've got to create must-see TV. That's still a, you know, it's not just the NBC saying. I mean, it's just, it's must-see TV. What, what, to me, other than a sporting event that you really want to see, like, you know, a football game, baseball game, basketball, whatever it is, um, what else can't you watch at any other time? You know what I mean? Um, it, you could find it on on-demand anywhere. On-demand, you could find anything, like, I don't rush to, oh, there's a pay-per-view on tonight or there's this, unless it's a football game that I want to see. And mind you, I'm not a giant sports fan, but, you know, I do like to watch it when there's great games or matchups and things like that. Or, you know, you can only see it right then and there. Uh, otherwise, everything can be found at, at any time you want. So it's really got to pull you in. Like Friday Night Smackdown, you know, the whole bloodline thing is like really pulling people in. And I get it. And they don't even lock up once. I mean, that's the stuff. Can you find that magic? Like there's only so many people in the world that could create that stuff. You know, we're missing that from like the eighties, you know, like who can talk, who, 
who takes time on their verbiage and their speech and deliverance of, of such things? Not deliverance, the movie, not that. I know. I saw, I saw you. Well, yeah, I saw you tweak up, park up. You're like, ooh, yeah. Ooh. But uh, no, if that, if I answered what we were talking about there. You, you did. And you know what? You brought up a good point. And this is kind of a side thing because it got me thinking. I think that that lack of must see TV in all of wrestling, even WWE everywhere, helped impact wrestling because impact last hear me out i i see the head tilt impact wrestling for so many years their worst enemy was themselves because they pre-recorded and they taped and the spoilers were already on the internet and people knew so they wouldn't watch mm-hmm. I mean, right fair fair statement i sure yeah I'll impact's been great to me i've you know hung out backstage pd's my best friend you know all that stuff i this is not a knock it's the truth now when you have all this wrestling on youtube people going on demand ever all this stuff i think that takes away from the must-see wrestling live and people going all right well I, I everything's so delayed now in wrestling you don't watch your rest like you said you don't watch your wrestling that minute you watch it and youtube clips highlights you watch it mm-hmm. day after you watch it saturday night when you're sitting home alone doing nothing because you don't have a date me uh <laughs> you know that's that's when you watch a wrestling and that's when people go all right now i'll watch impact even though it's taped because they don't everything's so tape delayed now and in, in the way we sure. watch wrestling, it doesn't matter that impact is taped a month ahead of time mm-hmm. oh 100 um and it's just the way of the world. I mean, it's just the way of the world. Again, what isn't, you know, a lot of the shows I watch that I'm interested in. I was having this conversation yesterday. There's a show on Netflix. It's not a, obviously not a plug for them because I would get nothing from it. The Diplomat with Carrie Russell. Okay. I like the verbiage. I like what they're doing on the show. I'm a fan of Carrie Russell from a show, not from the one she was on the CW a million years ago, but she was on a show called The Americans that I loved which they were, they were spies from Russia. Right. But I actually flaked out on that show. either, I I actually couldn't tell you what happened in life that I just turned and had a lot of other things going on that I never got back to it to finish it. Well, I saw she's on this new show on Netflix and I started watching it. I don't know that I would make time throughout the week. If she was on Tuesday night, that show was on at 7 PM to carve out that niche for me. I think it's a great show, but I don't know that it's must see TV for me to drop right then and there you know and i'm not really a binger either but if i'm into it like i want to see it i want to finish the story so um i went back and found the americans and put them on my my ipad so that way i could finish up on that on plane airplanes and stuff but what is must see tv anymore except for like a sporting event or something that you're so interested in like that you can hook them and go you know what i need to see the return of cm punk on Saturday on collision, you know what I mean? The debuting collision that's coming up. Like I need to see that. We hope that the world turns on to see that this new show. Well, guess what? That's week one. What do we do with week two, week three, you know, he's here. So what do we do to bring him back? That's the challenge. So um, it's, it's just a crazy world with, with on demand. Now you never thought, I I remember thinking that the, uh, when I first got a Blu-ray DVD of wrestling thinking, my God, this is the future. I could stop, start, whenever. All these content on the DVD. You know, YouTube was around, but in its infancy. And now things like that and platforms and buttons that you can find everything, you know, it's just, it's 
it's just insane. It's just insane. And if anyone here is younger than you or I, um, you know, way younger, they don't understand the days of the videotapes and not having this readily available to you, you know? I, I tell Lars this all the time. I was not a take trader. I, that's the one thing I regret in my wrestling fandom was missing out on that trend. If I didn't watch wrestling that night or I fell asleep before it came on, I didn't know what happened. Or you had to wait for someone at school or work or someone that watched it to clue you in on what happened. Uh, I yeah. had a buddy uh, at this time I was living in Georgia. I had a buddy named Jeremy Woods. His parents always got him the WCW pay-per-views, but we got them three weeks after they came out, uh, you know, at a video store. So oh, right. ha Halloween Havocs and all that stuff, we'd watch three weeks later, but it was still new to us because the only time we really got to know was, you know, that night, the next night on Monday night on Nitro, where they only showed the still pictures of like a suplex and, you know, right. oh, this happened. You'll have to, you know, catch the. We couldn't afford the $60, $70 for the pay-per-views back in those days. I mean, they were expensive back back then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, they people will will never understand that kind of you know uh, uphill battle we had as wrestling fans, broke wrestling fans to see sure. wrestling. So, sure, uh, we have a ton more questions. Uh, this is uh, anonymous. This comes from this is for Ace. Is being a wrestling producer slash trainer almost like being an MLB or NFL player try, trying to coach someone some guys can do it some guys can't and why do you think some wrestlers may not be able to be good coaches uh it just breaks down to being able to articulate and be able to teach a person like no no two people can be taught the same way um i uh through personal life and professional uh, well i guess it's all professional but i mean in wrestling and in like, say I had a shoot job for a long time, you know, ever, most wrestlers you get, as Tracy Smothers would say, I gotta have a shoot job to, to I, I gotta have a shoot job, take care of my wrestling habit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So before you get a chance to where it's like now in the last few years where I've been fortunate enough to be a producer and an in-ring coach and things like that. Um, a lot of things were done while I had another job. Well, I inevitably was a trainer at, at other jobs. I would train them for those positions and technical positions. <clears throat> um, it, it, again, not everyone can articulate certain things to a person. You could, they could be the greatest wrestler in the world. Shawn Michaels is, can kind of tell you what he's looking for. I'm not damning him, but you know, he knows what he wants. He knows what he wants, but he's often said, I'm not the guy to get in the ring. I'm not a great wrestler like Robbie, like a Robbie Brooks line. He's like, I don't know all the, the twists and turns or, being able to break it down for you to watch you step by step. Um, and again, not damning, obviously, would never damn Shawn Michaels, but I'm just saying it's something he doesn't enjoy and it doesn't work for him so much. Whereas the creative aspect for him and what he's really involved with, with, with say like NXT, that works for him. Um, I figured out that I'm able to break things down, articulate it in a way to each, and, and you've got to look at every person. I forget what the test is called, um, the personality test that people would take. like. I often thought of giving that to my students, my class at the PC, so I can understand where everybody, where they were in levels of, okay, you understand these type of things before, you know, um, before this guy does. Like, uh, I would work on a guy's bumps, like, hey, you're sliding through your bumps. And he's like, I am? Like, I'm 
ticky dot on that. I'm very nitpicky. Like I'm mechanics. I'm mechanics. I think of mechanics. And when your bump is you're sliding through and the guy's like, I am. And, you know, first of all, he has to trust me as a coach instead of looking at me like I'm, I'm bagging on him. I would take video and I would say, look, your foot's slipping through. Oh, shit. I was like, kick, kick. The minute you get hit, you kick, you're down, attack the mat. And we help correct his bumps. We help correct this, that, or the C. It, it, it really breaks down to the person coaching and teaching, can you articulate, and your personality. There's many a person I've been in the ring with, and this is, this is my philosophy in a lot of ways, is to, and Harley Race did this with me. I've had this conversation with Punk when he works people that he's trying to lead along and, and elevate and kind of get them together. Like, they'll bring their ideas to him. There may be something he doesn't think is something he wants to do in a match, but, hey, you know, I, I got to teach. I got to teach him by, you know, either it's maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a successful thing that'll work. I don't think it'll work, but let's show the guy live and in action how, it, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, Harley would let me do that multiple times when I worked for his promotion. Harley would give out the most basic finish ever. And let me tell you, especially as a young kid, I was there. Oh, God, same fucking finish, Harley. Please, boss, can we try something? Can we try this? Okay, go ahead. And sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. And when it really didn't work, I'd sit down and I'd look at him and i go, well, I think you were right. He goes, yep, I had to let you see for yourself. I said, exactly. That's the only way. I learn, I learn by doing, not by you telling me. So I, that's how I learn. So I apply that to when I coach or when, you know, when I coach or produce a match, if they're willing to listen, I'll listen to the match. They'll ask me my opinion. I'll throw out some scenarios and different things and they either bite or they don't. Nine times out of 10, if I can show them what I'm thinking, but I don't say, oh, that's fucking wrong. God, that's fucking stupid. Like, I'm not that guy. I'm not that old coach because I've had people like that with me. I don't think that's a positive way of coaching. I don't think we build a bond and you put trust in me because I said, well, you're a fucking idiot. And you don't know how to do this. I've had that. And I've looked at people like, are you kidding me? I'm in a journey here. You're trying to uplift me. And instead, you're tearing me down to make me think that you're the wrestling god or whoever it is that was that trainer like. I was already listening to you and you had to be a complete dick about this, but I've had people, I, I just look at them and I'll say, try, do me a favor, appease me, try this, try that. And they would take, maybe they would either do it exactly how I brought up or, Hey, what do you think of this? And we mesh ideas together. And that's where the creativity comes about. You know, it's not just my vision. Let's take your vision. Let's work together on the visions and makes, you know, let, let's make something good. I really just think it's the person coaching and the person that you are coaching. Cause no, you know, again, no, you know, if you talk to a, a legit teacher, that's, you know, any uh, school system, you know, they will, I dare say they would say the same thing, you know, not everybody learns the same. So. I I'm good. I took two things from this whole thing. One, the Shawn Michaels thing, I will say I agree with you, and it's not bagging, but Shawn Michaels is also probably smart enough to put people that know how to relay his idea to them and them to break it down to how the wrestlers will understand it, where yes. a, a great a great leader has that middleman that can take their their nugget of an idea and then go, I look, I want it done this way. I don't know how to tell those guys that, but you do. You go make it into yes. a tree or a flower. So mm -hmm. I, I do want to kind of, that's why I think you were saying was 
you know, he may not be able to flush out, but he has the people that do knows how to talk to those guys to flush that out. Yes, and, he did. And um, one of the coolest things when we're talking about the creativity and breaking it down, uh, back when Pete was Petey was back in Impact, he was in a program with Killer Cross, Carrying Cross now. And uh, the, one of my highlights of my wrestling, hanging out with Pete, riding his coattails. I'm sitting there watching them put their match together. Uh, and they it was a squash match. Pete was getting squashed because this is, you know, Cross's debut and impact. Guys go back and watch it. It was, it was, it was great from this aspect. So Cross doesn't even have his, uh, his uh, finisher named yet. Uh, okay. I got the name as finisher, by the way. That was the coolest, one of the coolest things. So uh, they're they're in the ring. They're kind of going through their match. And Pete turns to me and goes, hey, Dennis. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, yeah. He goes, how's this stuff look? Tell me as a fan what you would do, right? Because I, I, I know a little. I've gotten an education from Pete and other guys. So I know mm-hmm. more than the rest, average wrestling fan. But look, I'm not a professional. I'm still a fan. Sure. And I, I was like, you know, Pete. Somewhere in this match, if Cross has been taunting you and he's squashing you, there should be a moment where he's begging you to put you in the Canadian Destroyer and, you know, you're kind of beat up. He, you know, you come staggering over to him. You're going to do it. And he just lifts up slowly. Like, you know, go if you go back and watch it, you know, uh, Pete's beat up, Cross is taunting him. Like, come on, hit me with the Destroyer. Pete goes in for it, latches on, and Cross just stands up with you know and and drops people like nothing i'm like that would be the ultimate taunting move and they're like oh that's fucking awesome like for me as a fan that have been obvious like there's got to be that but sometimes the wrestlers get lost in their own mechanics or the the basic strategy to miss like what would make that fan moment pop and that's where yeah yeah and that's that's a kind of armchair quarterback stuff and i'll say that a lot i'm like I'm Monday morning quarterback, armchair quarterback. I see this happening, you know? And then sometimes there are people like, oh, wow. Just like you said, it's like, duh, I've been in this other realm. My head space has been, I'm just stuck in this box. But to open that up, sure, it's it's an outside eye and it's it's great. You know, there's, I think Steve Carino is one of the greatest guys for stuff like that too, because he's not actively wrestling. So what you're talking about is those moments that you see. Um, Man, there was a... uh, there was something long and short, somebody who Karina was producing on NXT back when they had like the hockey boards up the, the hockey glass because of the, the COVID deal, some mm-hmm. dude got slammed into it and we were going to commercial break and Karina looked at it and he said, but then so-and-so whoever they were in the feud with rises up. You all of a sudden just see them behind as we go to break, uh-huh. this dude got slammed and as this guy who got fucked up is sliding down fucking groggy. The guy from behind just stands up and you're like, Oh my God, so-and-so's here. We'll be right back. And that was in his mind. And I was like, fuck me. I didn't even think about that, you know? So that gets, gets the juices flowing, gets, gets the gears going up. Like, okay, that's a realm I got to start thinking about. You know, it's not just wrist lock, headlock, whatever other things in the ring, you know, it's not just that those mechanics. It's, that those other elements that are brought in 100% what you're saying. Paul from San Antonio. Uh, I know I've asked this two months ago, but I would love to hear Ace's opinion on this. Who is the best non wrestler that has become a wrestler that you've seen? Ooh, um, best non wrestler. I mean, for at the moment, you've got Logan Paul. 
Uh, I think Pat McAfee did a hell of a job. Um, Stephen Amell. I was just going to say him. He does not get the respect he deserves. Oh, no. Stephen Amell on heels? Come on. I oh, mean, he hasn't done it in a while. Interview. So yeah. Oh, definitely. That That's a uh, that's a guy who, just because it hasn't been done in a long time and he hasn't been on a major show, which would be great to have him on, especially tying in with another season of Heels coming up um, on Stars there. But uh, he, I, I think he embraced that. You know, uh, we should go. In fact, I should go back and watch it. But people should watch watch that. I mean, those are three off the top of off the top of my head that I I can think of. You know, being the most current uh, for guys with athleticism and pulling off what they did in the ring. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's you know, you've got the old carny stuff from back in the day. Like shit, I wrestled the mayor of Stone Park, Illinois, uh, when I was a rookie. Oh yeah, fuck. It's a local show in Stone Park. It was a bot show. I'm 160 pounds wearing boas, pink trunks. I got long hair. I'm a skinny fucking, I look like a celery stick. And, uh, but I just started wrestling and they're like, Hey, you're going to wrestle the mayor of Stone Park. I'm like, okay. He had a little bit of amateur experience. So he came down, we worked out a couple things. He didn't beat the wrestler. He won like a battle Royal, but I worked a match with him. Um, and you know, like stuff like that goes on year to year or the local DJ or things like that. This is just the amplified version of it. I mean, mm -hmm. it just shows that there's, you know, that probably would have never happened back in the day. I mean, they had Rodman come in at one point. I don't particularly remember how he did. I do remember um, when McMichael started wrestling, was it Kevin Green? Yeah. Kevin Green, Green. wrestled. I think Kevin Green did pretty good from what I recall, you know, you know, not damning Steve McMichael. We all know Steve McMichael's like, star athlete you know can't be touched super bowl champion wrestling maybe wasn't his forte i also think they threw him to the lions without much you know training underneath his belt but i think kevin green did pretty goddamn good back then you know what this is where i'm gonna disagree with you and i probably said this a million times but uh there's a small age difference i don't think there's what maybe five or six years i'm 45 you're what 50 51 yeah so you're you're 51 no, I'm 45. You're what, 50, 51? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm 50, goddammit. I'm not 51 yet. Oh, so I was close. But uh, So you're a little bit older than me. Sure. Uh, but as a kid watching wrestling, I didn't know what good wrestling and bad wrestling was. Like okay. at about 2000 WCW was when I went, oh, why am I watching this? Uh -huh. but before that, I couldn't tell you if that wrist lock looked bad or great. I was just enjoying the wrestling so when i watched like a steve mcmichaels i didn't see the bad wrestler i saw mongo okay. it, and i can still watch it today and appreciate that and not go oh he missed that that looks ugly and i think okay. that's one of the, the the beauties of i guess my fandom is like i still hold on to what i liked like i i love the black scorpion gimmick as a kid i still love it to, <laughs> i, I yeah. know everybody laughs and i get made fun of all the time mm. yes mm. I'll still go back and watch it because I loved it. Now, I know it's campy and stupid, but you know what? I don't let everybody's opinion sway me because I loved it when it's live. Same thing with like a Mongo. You know, do I know Mongo was not a great wrestler? Yes, I know that now. But you know what? I'm not letting go of what I thought of as a kid on a Mongo. And I don't – was yeah. that the same way for you? Could you – identify good wrestling and bad wrestling when you were younger or was I just that dumb well 
I'm not going to say I was smarter, but as I started smartening up as a fan in my teenage years, you know, damn, I know it's predetermined, but Ric Flair's chops got to fucking hurt. And you saw it evident by the, the you know, the, the splatter of finger handprints on everyone. And as time went on and I'd watch, I didn't know what a bad bump versus a good bump was like I do now, obviously, since I've taken a lot of those. <laughs> um, but I started to real, that's when my shift for who I was a fan for, as I started to get out of high school and realize this is what I wanted to do. It's when I became a fan of Bret Hart. I wasn't a WWF guy, but as WCW changed and Tully and Arn went away, they went to WWF for a year and people started really moving around in the eighties. And I was like, I started really focusing on the guys that technically were just, just masters. You know, how could you not watch Bret Hart and Kurt Hennig in that ring? And then they had a lot of matches before they had SummerSlam 91, you know, there was a lot in the like in the late 80s they had it was almost it was pretty much the warm-ups of the precursors because if you go and watch that first you'll see a, a, some of the same spots and ideas that they were formulating in those house show matches and then SummerSlam 91 comes around they're like they fucking got it you know but we're talking about guys who are on the road seven days a week sometimes two shows a day type thing you know so they were you know um I, I started smartening up and realizing what looked good what looked bad you know um, a little bit later, but that's because I took it. I was having more of a vested interest because I wanted to be a wrestler. It wasn't, I was just still a fan. Like at some point the fan, like people would hate in my family would not like watching pay-per-views with me because I wouldn't pop like I used to mm. for, for things. I would just like, Oh, Oh, that looked pretty good. You know, <laughs> instead of going, Oh my God, did you see that? You know, like, Oh, I just looked at it in a different way. Um, so no, I mean, I wasn't this, I still popped when I saw the Road Warriors, you know, like I love, were they technically the best? No, I'll watch a match now, almost just to hear the pop and the roar when they come out in all Japan, because that's, I think the only thing you could find on YouTube that still has Iron Man attached with the Road Warriors, but, you know, stuff like that, the first time feeling that and going to those shows, like that still got me excited. Um, and then when I go by, so I was at Stark 887 here in Chicago at UIC Pavilion as a fan. I still have the program somewhere. So I watched the guy that I've gotten to train with, you know, coach with, Terry Taylor. He worked Nikita Koloff there. I've oh. talked to him about that. Um, I have yet to meet Larry Zabisco, which I'm dying to, but Larry's the, the opening match on that card was Larry Zabisco, Rick Steiner, and Eddie Gilbert versus Sting, Michael Hayes, and Jimmy Garvin. And it's the first time I saw live a dive over the top. Sting dove over the top. And mind you, they had the scaffold set up for a, they did a like a Night of the Skywalkers type thing there. That was that was a show of the year ago, but they did a scaffold match that year. But saw Sting fly over the top. I just remember that opening match being really good. First time I saw a dive. I go back and watch that match. Um, the standout things were the dive, um, the pace they were working. And then when Larry Zabisco gets in the ring, he makes things look like an accident. He's on, he's on his game. When he runs the ropes and he's stumbling, he's not stumbling, but he is such a master the way he ran. Like he got hit and would look like he was groggy and then fed into the next thing. That's the art that I grab onto. And I, was, I watched that and, and I went, no wonder I enjoyed that match the way I enjoyed it because look at what they're putting into this. You know, I was still a fan then exactly, you know, 87. Mm -hmm. But the, the things I remember from that show 
And then when I go back and watch it, I'm like, no wonder I bought into this because or, or enjoyed it because look at what these guys are putting into their work. So let, let me ask you this. Uh, who was the before you got in the wrestling industry, first wrestler mm -hmm. you ever met as a fan? Oh man. Do you do you want me to tell you mine why you think? Yeah, you go ahead. All right. Um, as a kid, I met Lex Luger once outside of center stage in Atlanta. And then oh. the first one I actually got to meet and talk to was Ted DiBiase on an airplane. I was a kid. Uh, my dad worked for Delta, so we flew standby everywhere. And, you know, we're sitting in the back and you you see him a million miles away. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's him. And I'm probably 10 at this time. Yeah. And, you know, plane gets up, cruising altitude, of course. I unbuckle, go pattern up. And I'm like, excuse me, I'm such a big fan. Because I was. I loved the Million Dollar Man studio back then. I still loved him. Love him now. And um, he was sitting next to someone. And uh, it worked with him. I don't know. Could have been an agent. I, who knows? And he asked the guy to switch seats with me. So the guy goes, sits with my parents. And I sat there. And he spent 40 minutes talking to me. Uh, oh, shit. I, yeah, 40 minutes talking to me. I gave me a little autograph, black and white picture. I may even still have somewhere. And uh, I was like, do you have the million dollar belt? Where, where's, you know, Virgil at? And he's like, well, Virgil's driving the car to wherever. <laughs> you know, he was still, he's like, uh, he's got the belt. You know, I make him carry it. And he, but he was the nicest man huh. I've ever, I still remember to this day. Um, it took me a minute as you talked because I was thinking of way other things because the gym we used to work on as kids in high school um, was near O'Hare Airport in Chicago. I'm actually in Chicago right now when we, when we're, as we are recording this. Um, it was a Chicago health club at Kennedy and Kennedy Cumberland, Kennedy, the, the highway it was called. So uh, all the workers, because Rosemont Horizon's a stone's throw from everywhere around that way, which is now the Allstate Arena. <clears throat> All the workers, all the wrestlers would come in and work out. So we knew day of, day before they're coming in. So we would see from both both promotions. I mean, I remember seeing Paul Odor for the first time and think, and he, he had the arm atrophy at this point because um, this is late 80s into the 90s. Like this is, we, we stayed at this health club, but seeing him squat like a massive stack of fucking weight on a bar. And I don't even think he obviously wasn't maxing out. He was just doing it because it's fucking Paul Arndorf. You see Rick Martell, you see Piper. We also didn't really bother these guys. Because I remember one time seeing the British Bulldog talk to DiBiase. And being a dick, <clears throat> dick kid. I was like, what about that kayfabe? And these guys are like, oh, fuck, fucking kid. How does he know this word? You know, because back then you didn't know those words. Right. So I was just, I was just being a, a, a smart ass little kid. But I remember seeing uh steve kern's sitting on a bench i know steve kern i'm an awa fan i grew up in awa he's the fabulous ones well he didn't look like that now and he wasn't skinner i don't think um <clears throat> and i said steve kern and he looked up and i'm like what are you doing here you know and he goes they got me doing this damn doink thing and i went oh okay but i think he was surprised that anyone just picked him out you know especially at this stage this is not Stan, uh, Steve with the, the hair and, uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the whole fabulous one gimmick or looking like that guy. He was just an average guy working out. The first person I ever met in wrestling, I had a friend in high school that was a diehard Don Manningly fan, New York Yankees. And <clears throat> our birthdays were near each other. And I have a, a blessed 
world and life where a lot of fam not that I, I come from like some terrible broken home is not what I'm trying to say. Just I ended up having really good friends and their families would always invite me on trips. Um, his dream was to meet Don Manningly and get the rookie card signed. So we traveled down through Indiana and lo and behold, um, Terre Haute is where Larry Bird's from. So mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly, I don't remember exactly where Manningly's restaurant was. But Don Manningly had a restaurant, bar, grill type thing down there. And the word was they got on good authority that Manningly would be there. So I went with them. So he gets his rookie card signed. And I even took one up as an extra kid to get another one signed, you know, not to make it look too, too obvious. My buddy's dad found out Sergeant Slaughter was sitting on the opposite side of the restaurant. I will dig this picture up. It, it floats around for me somewhere. Um, but I got to meet Sergeant Slaughter. And again, I told you how big I was. When I left, when I left uh, high school, so I think this is the ju my junior year. So in another year, you know, I'm not much bigger, even though I tried to work out and stuff. And uh, here I am, this stupid little kid, going, "Boy, I want to be a wrestler." And he's like, "That's great, kid." Blah blah blah. And uh, I was like, uh, "I would love to train somewhere." Does Vern Gagne still have his, his school up there? He's like, I don't know if he does. I'm like, "He was in a barn, right?" He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "That's where we trained." He's like, "I'm not sure, but you know, good luck, kid." And gave me the uh, Give me an autograph. I have a picture of it. So it was a great experience. That's you know, awesome. he didn't just, you know, it, it was cool. Not as cool as getting to sit there on a plane ride and go, where's, where's Virgil, you know? Yeah. I'd still do it to this day if I could. Yeah, He'd be like, sure. you're 45, man. What are you doing? I'd be like, oh my God, you know, do you, are you really that rich? <laughs> You'd be like, what? I'm flying economy. No, I'm not, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So fast, fast forward to years later when I would, go up and do enhancement work for WWE, just go be the job guy. And there's Sergeant Slaughter bouncing around because he's the guy that, what's your name? Like, uh, I'd either be Chris Guy or Ace Steel or pick some random buffoon name just because it was fun and they could care less who was out there, you know? But uh, just to see him being the guy, I'm like, how's this coming full circle? Like, he's a guy, like, putting me in a match to where I was that skinny fucking kid, you know? And, and I'd work shows with him, work Did other shows later on. Nah, nah, I never went there because I was brought up in this business not to take the pictures, not to bug them, do that stuff where now I flip the script or like, you know what? I wish I had a picture. I wish I had told them stuff like that. You know, like my wife, when she started, she um, had met Kurt Angle somewhere when she was really young. And then when he came in for a show for Harley, she told Angle the story. And he's like, well, then we got to recreate the picture. And they took a picture together, you know, like that was pretty fucking cool of him, you know, just to, he brought it up. She didn't even have to ask things like that, you know, like take the pictures now, man. Like it's, it's a different world. I worked Tommy dreamer and I said, Tommy, can we, can we take the obligatory Mark picture? He goes, Ace, do you know how many pictures I don't have that I wish I did? He goes, Mick Foley and Terry Funk meant so much to my career. And he would, he would say this over again. He goes, and I don't have, at least at that point, um, he goes, I don't have an exact picture from that time frame he's like and they meant so much to my career i wish i just had something you know i'm sure by now again he's got that but back in the day when you look like you look and you are that person like do you have that that era captured that time capsule you know so i i'm a believer in taking the pictures now as long as you're not a fucking goof like oh let's you know it, it's harder for me because, like I said, I've been lucky, kind of like you. I've been lucky enough to know a lot of guys that I probably should never be friends with, right? Tommy Dreamer is one of those guys where yeah, he'll he'll send me texts and we talk baseball all the time. Uh, you know, um, Chris Saban, we go out to dinner all the time. And, oh, okay, yeah. And I don't, 
I don't ever ask for, for pictures, but deep down inside, I'm like, man, I wish I did, but I'm sitting here at dinner with the guy. Right. So it's like, and I know if I was like, hey, man, can, can I get a picture or a selfie at the end? He, they wouldn't care. But at the same time, it's, sure. I'm not in the industry. I'm a podcaster, at, you know, yes. so I still have to break out of the be friend being a podcaster being friends with wrestlers is rough because you know first of all they come with you with their guard up like all right this guy's gonna look to get dirt on me which and i say this a million times i'm not in the business of dirt i don't care what you know what you do you know pete knows whatever he's told me has never left because right that's not what i'm making my business or my fame i don't even know if i call this sure off of it so so I still have to like feel like I'm fighting out of that, like, oh, uh, what does this guy want now? You know, of course. So, I, yeah, I mean, and that's that's a rough, you know, to be honest, when I first met Lars, this is a funny story. I didn't know, I know the band Rancid, but I didn't, that wasn't my music. And, uh, and, and Phil Brooks and I have been friends since he started trading. You know what I mean? We were even roommates at one point. And, out of all the music that we had on road music and trust me, we've been up and down the road so many times. It's, you know, we play out these CDs that we have and I've listened to his music and you know, it's, it's rock music to me, but I never even, it didn't resonate to me that whatever rant it was. But so long and short is I'm, we end up in town at the same time and I, and uh, I meet Lars, but I don't, I don't know. It's a fucking guy with tattoos. Well, I'm friends with the guy with tattoos. Guy plays in a band, big, you know, Ooh. So we, we're out to eat and finally after a couple of days of hanging out with Lars and just going what band do you play for? He goes uh, I'm in Rancid. I'm like oh cool and then you know I go home and I start just kind of researching a little bit I said oh you dumb you dumbass of course like I didn't put two and two together but it was the best way to hang out and meet with somebody it, you know just to meet and greet just to get to know them to put that aside and that's how we have the relationship we have because and because he actually even told me, I don't know if he remembers this, but he goes, I've seen you wrestle in Japan, Ace. And I looked at him and said, no, you didn't. Because I'm like, I'm a fucking nobody. He goes, no, I'm telling you, I saw you. And he says a date in 2005. Like, this is what I remember at breakfast that day. And I looked at him and I go, fuck, I was in Japan right then. He goes, I'm telling you, I've fucking seen you wrestle. Like, they were on tour in Japan and he went there. He went to the show and I was like, mind blown. I'm like, oh, that's so weird, you know, but. Yeah, I never want to be that guy either. Like, there's some pictures of us out there, like when he and I and, and Punker hang out and stuff like that. But I'm always not the, I'm usually not the first one to throw it out there because I'm ex- exactly like you. Like, I don't like to pull the curtain back tons, but you know, and I have a bunch. I started taking a little more from the last couple of years of, you know, with this guy, with that guy. Fuck, Rick Rubin walked into the PC one day and I'm sitting there at the Titanic where, where all the producers are on TV day and it's early. Terry Taylor's sitting next to me and Terry's, you know, he's sitting there. He goes, I look up and I go, Oh wow. And he goes, who's that ace? And I go, that's fucking Rick Rubin. He goes, okay. And I go, Rick Rubin has produced and helped you name it in music. I said, I just started rambling bands, rambling from black and black, you know, black and black Terry. Uh, ACPC and I just started, you know, fucking Slayer and I'm just saying all this shit. Terry's like, all right then. Went up and said hello. I didn't get a picture that day. I didn't because I didn't want to be a big mark, right? When I saw, and not to say that Scotty Tuhati's a big mark, he was just smart enough to go, fuck it, I want a picture of Rick Rubin. All these pictures started coming out. I was like, 
why did I just get a fucking pick? Like he would have been cool with it. I just didn't want to bother the guy, but he would have been like, yeah, sure, man. You know, I shook his hand. I said, Rick Rubin, nice to meet you. My name's Ace. Good to meet you, sir. Blah, blah, blah. And I fucked off and come to see like everybody got some good pictures. I was like, damn it. Why wasn't I that guy? You know, Swerve, Swerve was with the company at the time and he, he went and got one. Like that's a good picture for him, you know, cause he's, he's doing his own music and stuff. Like just, that's my most current example of something like that. And you know what, Rick Rubin, probably just as excited to get that picture with some of those guys as they were to get him because he's a huge wrestling fan. Sure. Yeah. When you think about all the things that he's put time into or Smoky Mountain Wrestling, you know, yeah. all this stuff. But yeah. Yeah, man. Dude, all that, right. Next question. That's awesome. All right. Let's knock out two more and we'll call it a day. Uh, Kyle from Toronto. Hey, Ace, I have to know. Uh, with sports and superstitions, uh, in, in sports, with superstitions, with them holding a title before they win it. In wrestling, have you ever known any wrestlers that have that same superstition where they wouldn't touch any of the titles before they won one? I've never heard of such a thing, to be honest with you. Uh, explain to me this superstition about sports and not touching a title. So, uh, in, in at least in hockey, that's the one I know the most. Okay. Uh, they're, they don't touch any of the championships until they win it. So, like oh. – like okay. if they win like the Eastern Conference champion, they'll take a picture around it, but they won't touch it because they want the Stanley Cup. Or uh -huh. if there's some place where the Stanley Cup is and they've not won it, they won't touch it until they win it. Interesting. So okay. I guess Makes he's sense. asking, are there any wrestlers out there that won't touch any of the title belts until they've actually won it? I, I've never heard that because again, it's a predetermined sport. So, you know, and I will say it is a sport. There's a lot of very sport athletic things in it. I used to call myself an athletic entertainer. Um, <laughs> but we think about all the title, the WWF was, was famous for doing this, you know, like the rockers win the tag belts and they have the belts. Well, the rope fucking snapped and they decided not to use it. Well, guess what? No tag champs. Like, I don't think that's superstition or, Lex, I guess there's footage out there of Lex Luger wrestling as the WWF champion. Like there's some hidden footage, like he was going to get the belt, but that didn't go on. Um, or they give a guy a title. They decide, nope, we're not doing that now. It'll come later. Um, I, I don't believe that really exists so much. Also because when you're in a title match, whether you're winning it or not, the customary uh, like beginning is to get the belt from the champion walk it over to the challenger and the challenger may touch it, you know, just bare minimum, touch it. I'm going for this tonight. Crowd, let's go. And may win, may not win. I don't think that matters. I think, I don't think it has anything to do with anything really. But I was expecting other superstitions like, you know, like I always feel like I got to pee. I hope I don't shit my pants when I'm wrestling, you know, stuff like that. Like you have the dribble, dribble nervousness. Like you've heard that, like, if you're not nervous before you go out and wrestle, like, it's over for you. You know, like if you don't have that energy to go out, like that, that type of thing. I thought that's where the question was going. So. No, no. Unfortunately, I don't write them. The other people do. And Matthew from Port St. Lucie wants to know. Oh, uh, Florida, yes. not far from me in uh, Orlando. All right. Uh, well, Matthew says, uh, after the Paul and V interview, I like Ace a little bit more than I ever have. Still not sold, Ace. So <laughs> sell me. By liking you, by telling me what you grew up on watching wrestling, what do you like now, and what are your favorite matches and pay-per-views that you go back to over and over again? Um, I grew up on AWA in Chicago. That's, you know, I'm born and bred in the city. Um, all we got was AWA. I didn't get WWF until it went really gangbusters nationwide because I used to ask my dad, what happened to Hulk Hogan, you know? Well, he went, 
my dad to say he's wrestling on WOR TV. My dad was a huge wrestling fan. My parents really were. So I grew up on on that uh, 70s into 80s. And then um, NWA, once NWA hit and I saw, again, I saw the Road Warriors, their fake hometown, Chicago, but these guys were massive. They were mean, their promos, you know what I mean? Pay-per-views I go back and watch. Um, so I'm not the encyclopedia of, holy crap, uh, I know what mania this was. Like, obviously, we all know what WrestleMania three was with Steamboat Savage. Um, my favorite matches, as I coach now, you will find me reciting, just or or just telling people who, like I direct them to watch Ricky Steamboat, Steve Steve Austin, Steve Anderson, not Steve Anderson, the writer. Hi, Steve Anderson. How you doing, buddy? Uh, he co-wrote Bobby Heenan's book. He's a good dude. Uh, he uh, Steve. Ricky Steamboat and Steve Austin are some of the most fun matches. Uh, there's one in particular, Clash 28 is my favorite match. Not because it's perfect, because it's beautifully imperfect, because you can see how hard they're working. And it's, it's it, the crowd's into it. They, they even fuck it up by, the story of the show was Hulk Hogan's at WCW and he got jumped by somebody. So as something in action is happening, they go to the picture in picture and kind of take me away from the ring to watch the ambulance take it Hogan. And I still get mad. I'm like, get that off the fucking screen. I got to see the fucking match. Um, Steamboat is just the expert at selling and always fighting. Austin's such a, a, a mean piece of shit as a heel. Back then, his mechanics, he was he was moving and grooving. And I'm not damning the, other, the, the older Steve Austin where he figured out yeah, I can make more money just brawling, and also that his body got beat up. Um, I love that era too, which is is more is more successful, you know. But uh, you know, and I can appreciate Austin against like Rock. Like, what a great fucking match that was. Rock and Hogan, not the biggest Hulk Hogan fan, but also the fact that they did virtually nothing in this crowds erupting, like things that take me back to that um, specific pay per views. I don't know that there's one specific pay-per-view that I just jump up and down for. Like there's more just different matches. Like my brain will just go to this. I'm going to watch this. Um, <clears throat> I acquired Harley race later in my life as a friend, as a mentor. I never got to watch Harley when I was younger because I just didn't get that wrestling. So now I go back and watch the genius of Harley at his pace and what he did for other people. And, you know, like the Dick Murdoch's and things like that. Like the, I'll watch a lot of Houston wrestling because that Houston crowd was so into that. And I asked, I've asked people, I was like, how big is that freaking ring? It looks like it's 26 feet. It's so big, but the crowd's so into the matches and just, I love seeing the crowd pop. And I would show that the kids at the PC to go, they, we'd watch it. And I go, let's watch a tag match today. And I watched the Fantastics versus, I don't know who. And uh, the whole class looked at me and said, coach, they didn't do a fucking thing, but that crowd was just rip-roaring crazy. And I went, aha, what can you take from this, guys? Everything they did was solid. Um, man, and I, and I love a lot of the stuff I see today. Like, I'm not so uh, – I love Rey Mysterio and Dean Malenko. I love watching those matches, you know. Um, I love Eddie Guerrero's stuff when, when he would work with Malenko and that whole group of guys. Um, that cruiserweight. The, those cruiserweight guys. I mean, and I was a cruiserweight and that formulated what I wanted to do and why I went to Japan because I was like, I'm not a big guy. I don't belong in 
the WCW giant guys or the WWF giant guys. How am I going to survive in this business? Now I would be just fine, especially the way I look then, but different time, different place. But I gravitated to, to towards those guys and New Japan juniors. Even when I got to work in NOAA, I had to go back and watch more All Japan wrestling so I could understand what my boss did and what those guys did because I just wasn't a huge All Japan fan at that time because I was a cruiserweight. And all Japan wasn't big on cruiserweights. They had some, but it was the New Japan guys with the 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 uh, uh, what's what's the fucking cup called? You know, just just the tournaments that they had for, for right. New Japan. I'm brain I'm brain farting on that I right am now. Too. It's not uh, it's not the Super Junior. Oh, it is no, it's the Super oh, J Cup. Okay. Thank you. Sorry, brain fart. It's a little early. I'm still get. I need another coffee. But Super J Cup stuff. I yeah. watched Super J Cup stuff to see. That's when I first saw Malenko. It's so when I first saw a little more one, two, three kid or see Takamishinoku or the great Sasuke, mm-hmm. like, and then ECW came along and in short bursts, like Heyman was so smart to have just, it seemed like a half. And it, I think his shows maybe were a half hour of what I'd seen. They might've been an hour, but they were just clips of things that I had to see. But that's where, again, you get the modern day, like where, you know, I'm not going anywhere else with this, but when I first saw Benoit and Guerrero and Malenko, and then you get the best, is it the best of seven that they did, or they did did a best of Guerrero and Malenko? Like, holy shit, you go back and watch that. It's, there's a performance art to that, but that performance art, you know, drew me in. Like, I still love that type of thing, you know? Let me watch a Darby Allen go at it. Let me watch guys like that, you know, pull some shit off today. And now, you know, in today's, today's world, like, holy shit, I grab, I'll, you know, gravitate right towards that. I want to see that match. I want to see these guys. I want to see what Dante Martin does tomorrow. I want to see what Darius does. I want to see what's next for a guy like Hook, uh, WWE, you know, side of town, like uh, the NXT women have great stuff going on right now. You know, I want to see women do that. I want to see Tony Storm, JB Hader. I want to see some good hard nosed wrestling stuff. I'm always going to be that guy. Um, but I want to see the excitement stuff that that brings the crowd up, you know, like it's just, so if that gives you just where I'm all over the map, where I can appreciate Dick Murdoch and Harley race for what they do and don't do. I can appreciate the nowadays stuff where I might say, I might've drew that back a little bit and might not have gone that far in the match, but that's who Darby is. Eventually he'll slow down, but his presence, when he walks out, the people pop, you know, whether he's with sting or not at this point, you know, he's drawing people in by what he does and who he is. So I gravitate towards people like that. I'm going to say this to wrap this up. And this is a question for me. I wouldn't <clears throat> even say a question, but a statement. If you're ever around anybody in wrestling who uh, can do anything, make sure you tell them that me, Dennis, because they won't know who I am. So you'll have to explain nerdy podcast guy occasionally yeah. via text and, you know, tags you and stuff. Uh, what AEW needs to do is bring back themed sets. Like part of, as a kid growing up, watching a pay-per-view was to see what the set looked like, right? The, oh, uh-huh. You know, w, WCW did it great, you know, with the different sets, Halloween Havoc, you know, Slambury, yep. whatever. <clears throat> I really think AEW is missing the bolt because, you know, it's the same set from – a you know dynamite to a rampage to a pay-per-view 
pay-per-view is supposed to be special for me sure. when I, and it's, maybe it's nitpicky but when i watch a pay-per-view and it's the same entrance ramp as it is from a monday night raw why am i watching yeah. it's it's just it's just an elaborated monday night raw with with you know so sure i, I really wish you know, AEW would do like a theme set. It could be a just a special set for all their pay per views, but make it different. Make it feel different. Part of, you know, um, what was it? Clash of Champions on back in WCW days, where they had that ramp that led straight to the ring, but they didn't always. Yeah. Have. That yeah. that would right there. That small change made that pay-per-view feel so much bigger because it was just a change. And I really think that's missing in today's wrestling. I will say, to be fair, they do to some respect, but I get where you say it looks the same. Because, I mean, there's there's plenty of TVs last year like, hey, we've got the WCW ramp, basically is what we don't call it. Because yep. it went straight to the ring. Like, okay, can we bump on the ramp? Can we do things with it? Can we be smart about it? Not be smart, you know. But it blends in so easy. I get where you – there are changes and subtle changes, especially like when they run Vegas, when AEW does Vegas or something like that. Forbidden Door last year was a completely different set <clears throat> yes. because everything was lowered. I remember standing there. I've got a few pictures of it. Um, I'll throw them out there in the world just because, you know, it's Forbidden Door is coming back, up, coming back around the horn this year. But I remember standing on the stage, and it was a lower stage that went out because it was in the United Center. And they had lowered the screens, the trons were lowered so there could be a crowd behind because it was just going to be a, a massive crowd. So, but I get your what you're saying about the the themed, like just the whole set in general. Like I, I always remember it's one of the bashes I'll watch, but they had the uh, they had a bikini competition with Medusa and Missy Hyatt, but they had like a cabana to the side. Jesse Ventura's dressed in shorts in. You know, like he, like he's gonna go to the beach. The same probably with Shivani, um, but they had a whole theme. Everybody, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was different. It was set up the Halloween havocs. You know, as hokey as some of that shit was. Um, I think when WWE went to Puerto Rico, holy shit, the feel and the different look of walking out in the arena like they did. That was. I always love throwback old stuff. I mean, I get that now nowadays you. You can't just have one light over the ring, but I really love that. I really love the, the like, I get the lighting, the crowd. It's about a TV show. It's about every other aesthetic that we got to look at. But, you know, again, I'm old school. I love the basics of certain things. Like, I, I, I love that. So I, a mesh, but uh, noted what you said. And you know what, when you, you, you said the Puerto Rico show, which was great because I like that different feel, it reminded me of that. What was it? The rumble where the set was right on the hard cam. And that was when John Cena returned. I like M MSG, wasn't it? Yes. Was it MSG. That was such a change from the big tight and it, and it felt cooler. And yeah. like you said, the, uh, you know, what the double or nothings, the, the big poker chips, that yes. different yes. feel there it makes it feel different. You know, people interacted with that stuff and man, I really think, you know, and I get the reason why they cut it out as cost and all that stuff, but boy, the, the, the making the pay-per-view feel special. And I think Lars and I talked about this on a couple on our last Q&A about how the kind of the premium live events took out that special feeling of pay-per-views where if someone got a pay-per-view, 
10 people were over their house. You ordered wings, sure. pizza, and had soda, yep. and made an event. Now that you pay nine bucks a month, you're not having parties. Maybe a casual WrestleMania party outside of that. You're not having a money in the bank party. You're not having, you know, a, a, a get together for any other pay per views unless you're spending 60 bucks. So if you're going to spend 60 bucks on a pay per view, and you have people come over, make that set feel special, like you're at a special occasion. Understood. Oh, yeah. We, I used to do that with buddies with UFC. You know, UFC wasn't as, the market wasn't as saturated like it is now. <clears throat> I'm sure there's a UFC on, excuse me. <clears throat> I'm sure there's a UFC pay-per-view on right now. Like, I don't know, like they're everywhere. But I remember the big fights. That's when I still would kind of follow it, like, Hey, you want to get together Saturday? We would do exactly what you said. You know, let's throw some money in a kitty for the guy who's getting a pay-per-view. Let's all buy pizza, bring your own, whatever you want to drink, yada, yada, yada. But you get together and it was an event. So, yep. Again, duly noted. I'll, all right. Uh, you go talk to people. Thanks. Yes. Yes. Dennis. Dennis. Dennis Farina. No, he's dead. This this yeah. other Dennis, he's kind of he's not as cool as Dennis Farina, but. Same size nose, though. I, I, I can't talk to anyone about a nose, buddy. All right. Well, listen. But you can smell a dirty thought from across the room, can't you? Uh, I can smell the semen you had for dinner last night. That's how big hey, my nose is. Hey, hey, uh, But anyways, listen, guys. Uh, thank you so much for the questions. We totally appreciate it. Uh, Ace, thank you so much. Uh, hopefully, you're having more fun as the episodes go on. You're on camera now, so you kind of have to say yes, but you can say no once we turn it off. No, this is fucking terrible. This is like pulling teeth. Like, I, I, you know, I agreed to do this and I don't like you, but pretending how to, you know, to do this, it, this is a great exercise for me. It's just like doing any other media. Like I got to deal with some other dipshit that I'm talking to. So who so, says but wrestlers no, aren't like good you. actors? You're great. Yeah. Who says wrestlers aren't good actors? <laughs> That's right. Uh -huh. All right, guys. Listen, uh, enjoy. Happy Father's Day weekend. We're recording a pre-hand, of course, so uh, you've already had your Father's Day. Hopefully, you've got a tie you want. I don't give a fuck. Anyways, uh, have a good weekend. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you later. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.